Amen, amen. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Crossbridge again. If this is your first time visiting, my name is Jordan. I am our online pastor and one of our teaching pastors. And we are kicking off a brand new series today called Mind Field, where we are going to be walking through mental health and mental illness for the month of May for Mental Health Awareness Month. And just talking about, especially uh, today, our personal experiences with mental illness. Uh, but then for the rest of the series, talking specifically about different parts of mental illness. And so next week, I'll be teaching by myself. And then the week after, Trevor will be teaching uh, as well. And friends, this is one of the things that if you've been a part of Crossbridge for a while, you know that we have prioritized mental health conversation. And what does it look like for the church to be at the center of that conversation with Jesus at the heart? Because it doesn't take a uh, mental health expert to know that mental illness is increasing at rapid paces that society, frankly, just can't keep up with. And so part of what we want to do as the church is come alongside those who are hurting and walking through a minefield where perhaps it is impossible to slow the breathing down or the mind down. And whether you relate to mental illness yourself or whether you um, know someone who does or perhaps you're sitting there like, this is all just bogus, we want you to know that you're welcomed here. And we want you to know that there's a place for you here. And we pray that you would be the church and come alongside one another either in finding healing or walking with those who need it. And so... Today, to kick off this series, we have decided to do a panel discussion representing four different generations. And so we have our lead pastor, Brad Maddox, the boomer representative. That's much better. Yeah. First service. First service, I got no love. I mean, it was, so there's some boomers out here. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, I... I feel like Barb manipulated that a little I bit got, because I, she was screaming in the back yeah, to get everyone yeah. else excited. We do whatever it takes, man. <laughs> we have Kim Chitwood, our Next Steps pastor and Gen X representative. And then myself, Jordan Chitwood. I am a millennial and our online pastor. As, as is Yeah, Scotty. Everyone needs a Scotty in their life. <laughs> and then friends, I'd love to introduce you. If you don't already know her, one of our Gen Z leaders, this is Michaela Hansen. First time teaching on stage with us and so excited for her, uh, just proud of her and her courage and just being willing to share pieces of her story and just how she has uh, navigated mental illness as well. But uh, friends, we are excited about this series and we just want you to know that if you are struggling, you're not alone and we are willing and more than happy to walk with you in different ways. But kind of the theme passage for this whole year has been Matthew 11, 28 through 30, but then it's also going to be the theme passage for today. And so, Kim, would you just read yes, that yes. for us? Yes, one of my favorites. So Jesus is speaking here. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me. Come to Jesus. That yoke can kind of seem a little bit crazy to us because we don't really talk in that way. So that yoke being, the, you know, the wood on the oxen where they, they were able to stay together. And it just seems heavy and burdening, which a lot of the people back in Bible times, the law was such a burdening thing to carry. And they thought they had to do and be and, and perform in order to get to God. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's all about me. And I tell you what, I need that verse. And one of the ways I've looked at it is, is it's not even a yoke. It's not even this wooden weight on us. It's actually his arm around us, walking with us to help us in our journey. Yeah. And as you read throughout scripture, rest is this concept that has uh, just numerous and numerous amounts of um, appearances throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. And Michaela, as we think about rest, and especially in our busy culture that we have created and fast-paced culture, and for someone who, right out of college, starting a new career, new life, what does rest perhaps look like for you? And as you read that passage, what comes to mind? Yeah, I think um, I talked a little bit about this first service, but I think if we are looking for rest to just happen, like, oh, I just need things to just slow down, um, it probably never will. Um, in my limited experience, it doesn't seem to ever slow down. So um, I, I said this in first service. It's not actually something I came up with, so I can't take credit for it. But oh, I think you it, shouldn't have said that. I know, I know. It's, it really, it's a really good <laughs> phrase. And they were like, that was amazing. I'm like, it wasn't me. So um, it, it's kind of the idea of sitting down on the inside and, and how can we bring Jesus' peace into the chaos and into those moments of stress and overwhelm um, and have that inside of us. And when I think about Jesus saying, come to me, um, I think he's welcoming us, you know, into his presence, yes, but probably also into his love because I think that is, is really what's going to change things for us. So, Yeah, I just love that imagery of sitting down on the inside and, and what that looks like and what that means. And, and Brad, for so many different people... Have Bruce bring you some batteries. Bruce, we need some batteries. Brad kept his mic on all between services and then shut it off. And so, uh, well, anyway, as we're getting some new batteries, oh, thank you, Miss Lydia. Everyone give a round of applause for wonderful Miss Lydia Miller. Uh, while we are uh, taking care of that, because you were supposed to speak next, and so I'll pass it off to Kim. That's disgusting. This germaphobe over here is like, let's keep our own microphones, Bradley. I don't have anxiety at all, if you can't tell. No no germophobia here. No mental illness there. <laughs> oh, bless my heart. Or something. I don't know. Anyway, what was I supposed to answer? You just love making jokes when you get uncomfortable, don't you? We're going to talk about making jokes to kind of sidetrack our mental illness. Yes. That's, Brad is that the is king so of that. And so, so that anyway, is. Brad, I did want you to share some of the statistics of, you know, why we're talking about this in the sure. church. Would you just share some of those with us? I would love to. <laughs> One in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. One in five. And that's actually. And actually a new study yesterday was released. One in four. This is from 2021, and then the new one in 2023, right. one in four adults. Right. One in 20 U.S. adults experience serious mental illness each year. One in six U.S. youth aged 6 through 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. And this is where it starts really getting serious. 
50% of all lifetime mental illnesses begin by the age of 14 and 75% by the age of 24. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 14. And those are just sobering. I mean, when you, when you start looking at this, and as we look at this, you know, through generations or things, and I think we all have our own uh, presumptions of, of mental illness due to our, our ages and things like that. But you cannot deny these, these, these facts. You cannot deny the stats that there's an issue going on. And no matter where you stand on this, that we, as you said at the beginning, at the church needs to be at the center of this whole discussion. Yeah. And as we continue to walk with people, we've just learned how many people here at Crossbridge struggle with mental illness, whether it's anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, suicide, ideation, feelings of worthlessness, insecurities, eating disorders. The list goes on and on and on. And we just want you to know that you're not alone and that the whole point of this series and this ongoing conversation is for us to encourage next steps in perhaps finding Jesus as our identity, or perhaps finding professional help, and uh, whether that's medication or counseling or exercise or dieting, there's so many things we can do to better our mental health, but some of us will just struggle with this for the rest of our lives. But we don't have to struggle with it alone. And so we wanted to just walk through a series of questions today. Uh, You may find a drop of wisdom that you take with you that uh, perhaps you already have with Michaela's brilliant that she stole from someone else, the sitting down on the inside, uh, or perhaps you may just be able to relate to one of us. That's kind of the goal for today. And so we're just going to, I'm just going to pass along a few questions to different uh, individuals to hear our responses um, and just how we have navigated some of our mental illnesses. And so um, I started with Michaela last service. I'm going to start with Bradley this service. With this first question, and Brad, in what ways have you experienced mental health or mental illness in your own life? Yeah, it, this is interesting because it hasn't really honestly been until the last few years that this has even come upon my radar. Only because, honestly, you two touchy-feely people have really you know, pushed me on this. <laughs> We've gotten Brad in touch with his feelings. Yeah, but, yeah <laughs> they, those feelings are awful things. I don't know if you know that or not, but... You know, and, and for, the, for those of you out there that grew up in my generation, I mean, this is just something that we didn't deal with. And if we did know about it, we just pushed it to the side and we just said, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's the attitude. You know, and you start realizing that this is the wrong mindset that we have here. And it was something that you were ashamed of, you didn't talk about, you pushed it to the side. If there was any kind of issues, you hit it because you were not strong enough. You were weak if you admitted some of this stuff. And, and so, again, as we... As, as we've been getting, walking through some of this stuff and being pushed on it. Um, I remember one time I came into the office and, and Jordan's got this all saying now, it's, you know, how's your soul? And it actually makes you start thinking about this stuff. And, and I remember one time I said, man, I was up at three o'clock in the morning and, and, you know, thinking about some things and he, and he just stopped me. He said, you know what that is? It's anxiety. I said, no, you know, I don't have anxiety. That's not how I'm wired, you know? Like that fast-paced heart rate, is like, that's not normal? And you start realizing, you know, there are some of these things. And, and uh, it's, just, it's been and good to, to, to just try to understand that and ask yourself, okay, what am I feeling at this, at this time and, and, and what's going on? And it's out of my comfort zone. 
And again, it's not something that, that I grew up talking about or, or, or pushed on and things like that. And then over the last couple of years, I've realized that this, this whole seasonal depression thing has just, it's killing me anymore. You know, I'm, I need some sunshine in the winter. <laughs> and, and it is. It, and just realizing that and acknowledging it is where it all starts. And, and not that there's solutions necessarily, but hey, this is how I'm feeling. And it's okay to wake up in the morning saying, you know, I just feel blah. This is just, this is where it starts. And then in my prayer time, moving it to a point of, hey, God, I just, I just feel off today. I feel blah. I'm not looking for an answer. I'm not necessarily looking for a solution because, again, that's my generation. Let's just solve this. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and let's get on with this thing. But, no, this is just, this is where we are. And that's where we start. Yeah, and I, you, you touched on something at the beginning of just even being able to identify what you're feeling and having the language to it, I think, is where the hiccup happens for so many people. And a big part of it, not is just because of lack of education, but because of lack of conversation. And that's why we're having the conversation in the church and being the front runners for mental illness and for mental health awareness so that we can be able to identify, oh, perhaps that is anxiety or depression or suicide ideation or feelings of insecurities, worthlessness, rather than just packaging it down to never be discussed finding ways to heal from it. And I think our gener my generation and some of the older, I would say even maybe even older Gen X would, would say that we don't want to talk to somebody about it because it is a weakness to us. It's still, I mean, I st it still comes through my mind that this is a weakness. And, and it's courageous to talk about it. That's where the bravery comes in. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, even if, if, if that's the start is where we got to get to. Absolutely. Well, next question uh, I'm going to pass this one over to Michaela, just asking you in what ways in your uh, journey with mental illness have you uh, figured out this is kind of my impulsive or natural response toward how I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing? Yeah, I think the, the initial response is negative. You want it to go away. Um, obviously, you see it as a bad thing. Um, and, it, and it definitely, you know, our brains can work in ways that are unhelpful. Um, but I, I think, I also think it has have had a stigma even in Gen Z. I mean, Gen Z is typically thought of as being a lot more embracing of, of mental health and mental illnesses, but I think there is still, you kind of got to get through that, uh, awkward feeling even when you're talking about it with friends, you know, um, but it's, it's become a more open conversation. And, um, as I've sort of journeyed with it myself, I've tried to start thinking of it in the same terms of like a physical ailment, you know, not, not treating it like this, oh, this other thing, because it's mental. I mean, if somebody had an allergy or diabetes or a broken leg, um, you know, we're not going to bubble wrap them, and we're also not going to, you know, go up to their leg and be like, hey, toughen up a little, you know, like, well, you're, Brad might. you're good. <laughs> um, <laughs> it worked for I don't know how many yeah, years. <laughs> just walk it off, walk it off. Um, so it, I think trying to have a, a more normal conversation around it and, and not treat it as this other, you know, thing and treat it just like you would, oh, you have an allergy or you have, and, and not to, to lessen it and, and the impact of it, but to not to make it um, more shameful or more, um, yeah, just, just all, all around negative, more negative than it needs to be, so. That word shame there, I think, is huge with mental illness because not only can shame in and of itself be a mental illness or chronic illness that people experience and deal with and discouragement, but then even just the shame within, 
how you are feeling, whether it's depression or other aspects, and that's led to a lot of eating disorders or self-harm or suicide ideation because of the shame of either decisions that we have made in our past or decisions that other people abusively made for us has been a part of our journey as well. Um, and that can just lead to a lifetime of healing and finding healing. And rather than just waking up today saying, you know what, I'm better today, it's taking it one step at a time. And, Brad, you kind of alluded to this, just recognizing I feel glad today and giving yourself grace in that feeling. It's okay to have off days and bad days and days where you maybe take a step back, but we don't want to stay there. And that's part of the healing and process. And I think, I think that's the big thing is that, you know, I think, again, going by generations is my generation would say, yeah, but, you know, you, you kind of wallow in that. And I don't think anybody wants to stay there. It's understanding, yeah, this is how I'm feeling what is the next step that I can take? It may not solve itself, but what's the next step that I can take through this? Mm -hmm. If you've never experienced depression, from the outside looking in at someone's depression, you think they're just lazy, unmotivated. Right. Why can't they just why can't they just fix it and snap out of it? That's the so many people make the 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 ignorant comment of just just snap out of it when they're walking with someone with just don't with feel that way anymore. Just uh, hey, have you ever considered praying and stop feeling about that? <laughs> never. I've never decided. I've never thought maybe I just don't want to be depressed today. And so part of that is just understanding, like people who are depressed, it is a constant battle of no, I don't want to just lay in bed all day. That's not that's not what I want to do. But then finding that motivation, that strength, that energy to step forward is so, and part of it vulnerable, but a big part of it is it just requires stepping out of your, your insecurities. And so, uh, Kim, next question for you. What do you think has led to the increase in mental illness, especially since 2020? I think um, there's so many things. I think Yes, there is an increase, but I also think there is an awareness. So I don't know how much of it has increased or, or, or how much of it has just become more, we've been talking about it more. We were able to see it a lot more. Um, I agree. Michaela said this first service. I agree that number one is technology. And as, as much as it's great, it can be so absolutely harmful to us because God didn't make us to be alone. God didn't make us to do life by ourselves. He made us to be in community with other people, and that's where healing happens. Healing can't happen when we're just in, a, you know, in our little cubicle on our phones. Um, it can be great. You can be anywhere and read the Bible. You can be anywhere and connect with anyone, but we usually take it to the extreme, and when we're not feeling good, especially emotionally or mentally, we tend to, at least I do, pull away and spend a lot more time on my phone than I do interacting with people who can actually help me feel better and get better and, and, and make the next step. And so it almost feels like courageous to step out and connect with someone and say, I need someone and I don't just need my phone. So I would, I would definitely say technology is number one. Yeah, and I... I can't work a microphone. Um, I had a conversation before church here and, and someone after second service, and, and we talked a little bit about schedules, and I think that's another another part of it. And I look at our, our kids' schedules and our grandkids' schedules with sports and, and running and, and 
a first grade grandson just tried out for a travel baseball team. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? You know, and it's, it's those kind of things. And I think, you know, we have to be aware that that plays into all that too. And it, it's a piggyback because if you are a restless person or you're dealing with anxiety or depression, you cover it up by staying busy. Right. You keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And then the busyness makes all the mental health worse. So it's both. Right. And, you know, our verse, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and need rest. I mean, again, that and some of that's our choice. First service, you talked about Facebook algorithms and high talk about that because there was yeah. actually a gasp from first service when you when you talked about that i don't know if you heard that or not i didn't but it yeah. was like oh my gosh i didn't realize that yeah so author of the ruthless elimination of hurry was talking about how when facebook was first created they hired a hacker to come and work for them to help figure out how to essentially hack the emotions of their the people they were over influence of and so that's why they started pushing for likes and comments and shares and reactions because every time that our brain is encouraged by a digital reaction to something we've shared or posted, we have a dopamine hit just psychologically and in our brains. And so what Facebook started to do and intentionally does is they intentionally put things in front of your feed that will either make you sad or angry. And so that's why you'll see a lot of political things on your feed that perhaps you don't agree with because they know if they can anger you, frustrate you, or sadden you, then you'll spend more time reacting to those posts and creating engagement. And so Facebook's entire algorithm has been designed to stir up something negative, as you were hitting on uh, earlier, within you. Uh, in your mental illness. And I would say the news is doing that now, too. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're being, we're being manipulated every, every, we are. <laughs> everywhere we look, and we're playing into that to some Because degree. the emotional response creates an emotional and, and, engagement. And I've read articles where they're talking about that they've actually created an addiction. I mean, they pur purposely have created addiction. Now, that's not to say, oh, again, we're, social media is all bad, you know. Yeah. As the online pastor, I would like to disagree <laughs> with that. <laughs> But, but, but here again, it's, it's an awareness thing. It's understand that your emotions are being manipulated to a certain degree. And, and, and understanding that, and okay, now, what, again, what has that just created in me? I've read this post. What has that just done to me in my, in my psyche? Yeah, because the reverse is also true, is, is part of why the church has been utilizing social media and YouTube and video content is because we have the ability to also encourage people and positively reinforce right. some healing and stuff while and creating content. And even and reinforce community. community when you can't be together. Right. It's a both and it's about establishing boundaries. And Mika it's just understanding it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Michaela, I want to pass this next question off to you. In what ways have you seen God amidst your journey with mental illness? Yeah, this is a, this is a, a good question because I think um, as someone who's, who's struggled with mental illness, a lot of times when you, when you get into low moments, uh, those are the times where, I mean, some people might really draw close to God and, and that's a great knee-jerk reaction to have, but I think the other side can be to push him away and to go, well, you don't care about me. Why would you? Why, how could you? Um, I don't want to pray. Why would I? It's not doing anything. Um, and, and so you, it keeps feeding into that to go, and the enemy loves that. I mean, mental illnesses are 
they're built on lies. And so um, the number one lie being that the enemy really wants us to believe is that God doesn't love you and he doesn't care. And so um, he's going to keep feeding into that. And so, but, and yet, um, even in our mental illnesses and in my mental, you know, health struggles, God is always pursuing. Um, And I think in those low moments, I, I look back sometimes and I go, oh, I, you know, had a really low point and something good came out of that. That wasn't good, but um, I had a really good conversation then with somebody, a really open conversation about what I'm struggling with and um, how cool that, you know, God doesn't, um, I don't think he creates bad things or struggles, but man, he can use them and um, use them for good things because he is good. And, And so I think it's getting back to things that are true then and things that are good and, and, and getting back to God, even in those moments when we're like, that is the last thing I want to do right now, um, to, to go back to him. So. Yeah, speaking of that, transitioning from that, I want to then pass this next question off to you, Kim, uh, is perhaps there are some things that are the last things we want to do, but what are some ways for those who are struggling with mental illness, what are some things that perhaps you found in your journey that have helped you combat some of those feelings of of uh, some of some of those mental illnesses in your life that perhaps can help them. Right. And again, just to reinforce, all four of us are up here because all four of us have struggled with mental illness. And um, we haven't specifically shared each of our journey, but we are. And so you're not alone. And that leads into what you need. You need to know that there's other people around that struggle. And when you are trying to deal with this by yourself, then the enemy loves that. The enemy wants you to stay in isolation. He wants you to think that it's only you that's going through this. But God didn't create us for that. God created us for people, and and there are safe people in your life. And sometimes that's hard because maybe you've been through trauma and your trust in others and in God has been robbed. But in order to grow in trust, you have to make that step toward another person and, and just try There might be someone that you think, I think that person might be safe. Just connect with them. Put the phone down or pick the phone up and give them a call and say, I want to meet with you today. And I just am struggling and I don't want to share everything, but I need to share it with someone because, see, God has wired our brains in such a beautiful way that you can, in one hand, and and I think I've heard it, it takes 10 minutes either way, you can choose to um, believe the enemy's lies and sit by yourself and believe that you're not loved by God and you're not precious in his sight and he doesn't delight in you and you're a terrible person or whatever lie you're believing. And the more you believe it, in isolation, you're gonna, it's going to become concrete in your mind. Yet, instead, you can choose, I'm going to reach out to someone I trust and say, hey, there's, this is what I'm thinking of. And let that person or that group of people remind you the truth about who God says you are. And then a new pathway is formed. It's like if you keep walking across, don't do this because Brad will kill you. But if you keep walking across the field over and over again, it's going to form a rut. And a lot of times you see it then a sidewalk form, right? That's what happens to the neural pathways. Either either a new one is formed for bad or a new one is formed for good. And so you have the chance with community. God has created us for each other to, to actually heal each other's minds, but we can't do it alone. Jordan, let me ask you a question real quick, just playing off what Kim said there. Um, 
knowing who you are in God, that Jesus is, is the center of all this, how does identity play into all this? Identity is probably, while technology might be the biggest physical uh, reason why we've seen a spike in, in mental illness, I think identity is probably the biggest abstract or transparent, or the root even, of a lot of those struggles. Um, we see a lot of people who are placing their identity in their career, and then their career is taken away, or they end up retiring and start falling into a season of depression. Uh, we see a lot of people who are placing their identity into their sexuality, and then just questioning things and confusion, and, and in that piece of it, um, and, and that leads to some different mental illnesses, and uh, and then you see a lot of people who come from abusive home lives where they didn't have a loving mother or father, and uh, they saw the abuse of that, and then that uh, played a huge part of, well, how can God be a loving father figure then as well? And that creates a lot of mental illness. We see people who have been abused and taken advantage of and don't even know who they are then anymore and what an honest and a, and a relationship with integrity looks like um, so that they start doubting themselves and discouragement and whatnot, and that they are undeserving of love, and that plays a piece in identity and mental illness. And so I'm not sure that you can find healing from your mental illness, whether it's a lifetime journey or a temporary journey, without first understanding who you are in Christ. Absolutely, and I think that's a key, and that's one reason why we need to bring it up in the church. That's why we have to have our center of attention on there, and we try to push all we can to Jesus being the center of everything that we do, and that's where it all starts from. It's got to come from that center, or there is not healing. Brad, I want to do one last question. Oh, boy. And this was not uh, on the list. <laughs> uh, to wrap up today, as someone who, while you've struggled with some pieces of mental illness, uh, you work with individuals who struggle much more severely with it. Sure. As someone kind of on the outside who has had to try to learn and understand how other people struggle and suffer when you can't completely understand, do you have any pieces of advice um, that you would give to someone who's trying to better understand how other people are yeah, wired? Yeah, and I think part of it is just one is approaching it with an open mind mm -hmm. um, and understanding that just because you don't struggle with this doesn't mean that what someone else is struggling with isn't real. And, and so understanding that, and I think our generation almost looks at people with, I don't, disgust isn't the right word, but it's just that, oh, come on, you know, again, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, let's get going, let's, you know, you're not whole, and it's, it's honestly degrading, and, and so we have got to be there to help, and this really came over the last five, six, seven years for me because of, again, my grandkids. And I look at the culture they're growing up in, it's so different. I look at the society they're growing up with, the pressures they have that I never even had a, a tenth of the pressures of, of what some of these kids are dealing with at these young ages. And you can blame it on culture, society, what have you. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because that is what's happening. And so how do we come alongside these next generations to help them deal with this, center themselves on Jesus, find their identity in things other than technology and sports and education and getting good grades and what have you, understanding that they are somebody in God's sight. How do we lead them to that point so their identity is grounded in Jesus more than anything else? Yeah, and that, that last point is something Trevor will be talking a lot more about in the next couple of weeks when he's teaching. But 
Hey, friends, thank you uh, so much for this conversation, for your vulnerability. If you are struggling, I just want you to know you're not alone. If you know someone who is struggling, um, be a safe person for them. Uh, and if you don't understand any of this, I want to encourage you to start learning and listening and lamenting with those who do. Uh, Michaela, would you close us in prayer? Hey, God, we just, um, first of all, just want to thank you, God, for this opportunity um, and for Crossbridge opening the door to have these kinds of conversations. Um, Lord, I just pray for anybody out here who is struggling with their mental health, God, um, whether they've told somebody or not, I just, I just pray that you be with them, God, and you bring people to them, and you help them to open up to find healing. In your name I pray, amen.